Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife. Save the environment. Save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. Today I've woven together some uh, thoughts that have been traveling through my brain over the years and through the past episodes that we've presented. And some of those uh, thoughts and writings of my favorite authors, such as Lauren Isley, who wrote The Unexpected Universe, among others, Greg Stolzenberg's Where the Wild Things Were, and Martin Keough, Michael Pollan, Michael Gruber, and many others that I gather on my soapbox of life and living in our world, both the wildness and wildlife and the human condition. So I'm going to just ramble through some thoughts here. They may feel a little disconnected, but I'm going to come around and connect it all for you, and I would love to hear from you. So if you'd like to call in, our listener line is 1-866-472-5788, or you can email me at wildize at wildeyes.org. So let's look at it this way. Earth is made of food. We all know about the food chain, the poor at the bottom of the food chain, the rich at the top. The rest of us are scrabbling over each other to get ahead and survive. Life on Earth is simply amazing. From the marine to the terrestrial life, everything is always eating something else. As it moves to the top of the predator chain, it all gets so much more specialized. The predator-to-prey ratios, whether in the human or non-human being world. Then we come along and we eat everything except each other. We being humans. We are not controlling our population. Only natural disasters or wars today control us, and we continue to be amazed and surprised and repeat the same errors, thinking that each time we reenact them, they'll turn out differently. But really, with our biggest brain and the ability of language and words to imagine and create the future rather than exist in the now, we have no more self-control than a bunch of six-year-olds. 
Can you just imagine what it must have been like to be Darwin or Thoreau or Captain James Cook or Fitzgerald? He was the obscure captain of the Beagle, without whom Darwin may have never set sail to write The Origin of Species, or the creators of our modern theories through their explorations, and the quantum leaps we have made in such a short time along with the lack of wisdom from that which we destroy. There is so much to do, it's a shame we either spend our lives standing still on the way to nowhere, like being thrown off the end of the treadmill, or you've got to walk and move forward to get somewhere, so you may as well go somewhere new. I'm sure Earth will survive us, unless, of course, we go nuclear, but she'll even most likely survive that, given enough time without us. But that's not really the point, is it? The point is, will we survive us? With this magnificence around us intact, that which we call Earth and life, that is our choice. I urge you to watch 30 minutes of good wildlife TV, whatever it is, good nature TV, and look at what we have learned. Look at the incredible diversity of life that abounds around us. We've gotten so comfortable in our laziness and the value of a piece of paper that is based on a natural resource, gold, a limited resource at best. But we're so busy trading these pieces of paper that we've forgotten they are meaningless in the overall cosmic scope. Just a blip made up by one species to contain and control the rest of the world and species around us. The thing about pieces of paper, though, is... We will always make more until it's the last tree standing. Then what will we do? Today, it's wildlife must have value for us to save it. So let's just stop all this for a minute and watch nature. Whether you believe in God or science, divinity or destiny, fate creationism or evolution or chaos, it really doesn't matter. It's all a construct by us so that we may be able to put our existence in some imaginable scope in the face of the overwhelming unknowable. So as we set this aside for a little, aside for a little while, watch where we came from, what we are part of. We've gotten lazy in our quest for things in this monetary culture. We look around at life around us and it is astonishing. It is a magnificent, beautiful, harsh, unrelenting, colorful, vibrant, changing, bloody, horrific, tender, sensitive, and yet also uncaring of us. But it is life, and it is an everyday struggle for life to make life. Everyday existence and every moment that you are not dead is a moment to be joyful. Watch Extreme Animals one night. It's a really, really cool show. Extremes here are defined in a variety of manners, from swarms to most successful in its habitat, like the domestic cat is the most successful cat of all, because it can feed off over 1,500 species, compared to, let's say, the cheetah, who has only a variety of two to three to choose from. And other extremes that the domestic house cat is so well cared for, it doesn't need to hunt, but enjoys the kill nonetheless. How niche-specific our wildlife is in its myriad forms. Take Christmas Island, the red crabs by the millions. Life is just amazing. And then we watch the trucks roll over it all on the roadways. That we are better because we're human? Can we be so arrogant? Help me understand this. You're watching a wildlife documentary on TV, like The Cove, where the slaughter of dolphins that happens every year 
uh, in Japan by the man who started the flipper and the flipper series and the first one to train a dolphin. And then in the middle of this magnificence of our wild earth, you see an advertisement for, let's say, SeaWorld, a kid swimming with a dolphin. Let me get this straight. We're watching the wild version of this animal, and then it's advertised to engage with the tame one, which we all know because of the film, like The Cove, is inherently against the wild. Yet we continue to do it anyway. That, to me, is an oxymoron I just can't wrap my mind around. We forget sometimes in our struggle to be leaders, to be followers, to be innovators, creators, that the world is not all about us. It is about everything else but us. As we are the deciding factor right now, we are shaping everything around us much faster than Darwin or Thoreau could envision. Is this what life is about? I don't think so. There's a great little video going around on uh, the net right now. It's called, It's Not About the Nail. It's a humorous take on dealing with relationships, in this case, male-female. There is a woman talking about how she feels, but we all see she has a nail in her forehead. He is trying to tell her her problems will be solved if she just removes the nail. She is saying, it's not about the nail. Just listen to me. We each have different in terms of gender, we each have distinct ways of looking at things and trying to fix things. But for a moment, let's put aside the nail. In this case, the painful disaster slapping us in the face. And now we have a place to start a discussion. So sometimes it's not about the nail. It's not about us. It is about how we listen to each other and the world around us, moving toward a place of acceptance and forgiveness, reconnection with the life around us. We have this window into the world called TV. Make good use of it. What is the lure of reality TV when all we want to do is get away from it? Watch your nature and you'll reconnect. Step, step outside your singular biological unit your body. Step outside the box and we can be who we want to be. It's time for this leadership, whether that is a man or a woman in power or it's you. That power is in everyone and it's time to step up, stop being silent bystanders, and announce that these actions are unacceptable. This will change and challenge the current construct and thereby change cultural understanding of what it means to be human, taking the next step of evolution be all we can be, in concert with, with, with that which supports and gives us life. Leadership is not just about the powerful. It is about the power of one. Whether you realize it or not, you are powerful. The, by, the voice of the bystander is where the conscious of the peer group lies. That is what peer groups are about. You have that power within you and your group to make a difference. Do not be silent when you see something that is simply not acceptable, whether it's abuse, uh, a racial, or a bigotry comment. If you don't like it, then speak up. This is how we've changed things. Do we really want to be the generation that has to answer the question, where did the wild things go? What will you say? I'm sorry. I was just a little too busy on Facebook watching TV that I just didn't have the time to deal with the big issues around me. 
It was too big to deal with. I was overwhelmed with my job, raising my children, taking care of my parents, making enough money to get by and get a TV or a new phone. The world was drowning me. I have to work, you know. I have to be up at 6 a.m., talk with the wife and deal with the car and get to work and deal with the nasty guy in the cubicle next to me. And then my train, my bus was late. I got a flat tire. I get home. I'm tired. I just didn't have the time. It just didn't seem like I could do anything about it anyway. It just wasn't important. Will that answer suffice? Does it work right now? How do we justify today, right now, our actions in the scope of everything, and I mean everything, on this great blue ball we call Earth, in the cosmic scope? Really, what's important? What really matters? This is why we're so stressed out and running around cutting off our noses to spite our faces. We have forgotten that time is something we created, and that life happens regardless of the passing of the seconds on our watch face. We sped everything up, so therefore, we can slow things down if we so desire. Let's just get with the program and prioritize. In a whole new generation of thinking, we have to put Earth first, which in the end will allow us to focus on our quality of life, which will reflect the quality of life around us. Without Earth, we have no other place to live. So we'll be right back after the break and continue some of these thoughts. If you'd like to join in in the conversation, please call 1-866-472-5788 or email me at wildeyes at wildeyes.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn where we have several discussion groups going about this and other issues of our wild world. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. 
We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Welcome back, and if you've just tuned in, today I'm weaving together thoughts from previous episodes, our guests, um, my my uh, wanderings and my readings that have gotten me to this point, and trying to share some of the thoughts that go on in my ever-spinning mind, and hopefully help others, my listeners and my audience and my dedicated friends, to start looking at life in a slightly different perspective, to step outside our little box, that is our human mind and our little biological sphere we call me, and look at the rest of us and how we function in this huge organic spinning sphere called Earth. Today, to escape what we've created, the chaos, the worry, the stress, we buy our fancy cars named after wildlife and nature. What happens when we have no place to escape to? That green spaces and wild places have been torn asunder and driven over and everything has been touched by us. Like the Joni Mitchell song, they paved paradise and put up a parking lot. Never have these words been more true. Even if your mantra is being a survivalist, living off the grid, and you want to hold off the rest of the world intruding on your lifestyle, you'll still need Earth. You won't have your credit card or 7-Eleven. You'll need to farm and homestead for yourself. You'll need seeds and knowledge and companions. So what will you do without an Earth? So if we prioritize Earth first, then we have inherently solved our most major problem. For from there, everything else falls into place. Our economics will be based on the health of our resources. Our relationships and very survival will be based on the health of the hope beneath our feet. Our human condition, as much as it takes up so much of our time, the drama, the questions of why do we exist, all fall into place when you look at the entire picture earth first and that we are part and parcel of the magnificence of life as an individual you can choose how you want to prioritize your survival everything will sort itself out we need to all come to the table and figure out how we're going to solve this problem overpopulation disease pandemics uh, resistance to antibiotics scouring our world for more and more of less and less resources Whatever happened to, save it for a rainy day. Well, everybody, it's raining pretty hard, and it doesn't look like the storm is going to end anytime soon. So shouldn't we shift our focus a little bit to include the flood in our plans? The Internet, which started out being called the World Wide Web, in all its gloriousness has opened up a whole new universe for us, a parallel universe of the mind alongside the organic World Wide Web and the specialness that we are in the enormity of the universe of the life that begot us. But it also seems that we have become so immersed in understanding this ethereal web of connections that we have disconnected the single threads that connect us to the earth. 
Hopefully, we will also realize and rediscover that we are the leading edge of our souls, the worst and the best, and get through the ethereal web and get back to Earth and to each other before we get so far out into space that we have left the Earth altogether behind us. What gives me hope is that I do see threads of connection happening all over that connect these two parallel universes, fogs and tornadoes where the two intersect. Perhaps we will reemerge from this deep understanding of the ethereal connections back to the connections between us and the earth. It is not too late, yet humanity works well in crisis. We always have. So now it's time for each of us, the brilliant individual and the power of one to take back our ability to form mold and share and shape each other and our world we got us into this place we can get us out the power of one really boggles the mind if you stop and think about all the permutations that are possible let's take the empty toilet paper roll You walk into the loo or your own bathroom, and there it is, the dreaded paper tube. When there, right beside it, is a fresh-wrapped package of expectation just waiting to place into the world the new toilet paper roll. But the last person who used the loo felt it wasn't their responsibility or worth their effort or time to put the new roll into place, therefore leaving it to others, the next person that comes along. Then you find the new roll unwrapped, yet just sitting on the top of the old tube, and you you simply use that instead. Whose responsibility is it to replace the toilet paper roll? The power of that one decision that wasn't made had impacted the next person to come along and affects their decision and their day. They can continue on with the status quo, or they can put on the new roll. Rather than leave the world incomplete, someone decided that they would go full circle. Life is like the toilet paper roll. You can keep it going or you can let it stop when you have finished your personal business. What is the difference between the person who leaves the roll empty or the person who simply puts a new roll on top of the empty roll and the person who puts the new roll back together again, making the next visitor's experience complete? This is where we are in our world. Do we want to make it more complete, or are we in such a hurry, or that we don't care, or that we think it's not our responsibility, that we cannot stop to do one little thing that will make not just you, but the next person feel a little better about the world? Rather than leave my neighbor's world incomplete, I would rather add a little something to make it a better place for the people who follow in my footsteps. To think that we can live life in the vacuum of our own making, that we can control the events of the world around us, is one of our utmost follies. The punchline is that nature is the joker in the deck, and in the end we must laugh at the seriousness of which we take ourselves. Yet this big brain and that which sets us apart from the other beings, our ability to communicate with each other in words that can be understood by all, has lured us into thinking that we can also talk our way out of just about anything. In the end, nature is all about action and reaction. The mutations of survival and the mutations caused by our innocence and self-delusions of control. 
In the end, nature controls all, and by that I may also include human nature, but with it we find ourselves at odds with the rule of laws that do not account for natural law, the unending, unchanging, ever-present laws of life. It is not anthropomorphism, it is animism. Before we had science that put humanity and mankind as the lens and filter for which we view the world, we represented ourselves through the animals, whom had taught us to wend our way through this strange world. They taught us how to eat, how to fight, how to protect ourselves. They taught us language, eventually. We learned how to hunt and kill from them and protect ourselves from them. Now, with their ancient weapons, they must protect themselves from the combined knowledge of an entire species, us, boiled down into super weapons, for which we not only fight wars and each other, but take to sport to kill that which we no longer must fight, nature and wildlife. And in the end, we are them in all their myriad forms, and then watch a slice of humanity, the lions who fight each other to protect their family and their territory, and defend through sisterhood and motherhood. We could all be a bit more zoomorphic in our outlook on how to solve our world's challenges. We sought to emulate their strength, that is, the animals, and their courage, but watch any wildlife show and then watch a slice of humanity. We are zoomorphic. Some of us come in peace, like the butterfly, metamorphizing from its juvenile form like the phoenix to rise and flit upon the breeze, bringing light and air and life. Or like the Tasmanian devil, devil, some of us just come out fighting and never stop, and never even notice the life that begot us has left us on our own, because all we can do is fight. Now in our gaining economic status of this false coin of wealth, we now find ourselves killing to absorb the very attributes we admire, and by doing so become the exact opposite of what nature, even red in tooth and claw, intends. We are not evolving, we are devolving, and that is causing some great many problems for us and for our world. So we're going to take another little break here shortly. Once again, I would love to hear from you. You can call in at one 472 Follow us on Facebook where I post a lot of my thoughts and images and little bits and pieces of the world to, for people to uh, contemplate. I also have several discussion groups going on on LinkedIn where I would love to hear and uh, what you have to say on a variety of different subjects. And you can also check out our website at wildize.org. Also, you can send me an email at wildz at wildize.org. I would love to hear your thoughts. I would love to hear from you. So we'll be right back after the break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. 
She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. I've been weaving together some random thoughts that spin through my mind and often keep me up at night, but are also what drive me to do the work that I and Wild Eyes do to um, re-engage people to connect with our wild world. Our wild world is more about just wildlife and the environment. It is about our place in the world, which if you've been listening to many of my shows, it seems we are getting farther and farther away from the core, from the mother, from the earth that gave us everything we are. We are a combination and a historical uh, artifact of everything that came before us. We have a chance to evolve. Everything evolves in the world from uh, Darwin and his uh, search on the Beagle to Captain James Cook to all the writings that have come before us in the origin of species. We are continually evolving. The world is continually evolving around us. But now we find ourselves in a unique position that we are the great evolvers. We are evolving and changing the evolution of everything around us, but As I had said right before the break, I don't think humanity has yet evolved into what we can be. We're sort of stuck in this little pattern of consumption and self-gratification and narcissism, which is creating some chaos. 
I'm not sure if you've heard of or perhaps you've read Lauren Isley, a philosopher, naturalist, and scientist who was as concerned about his conscience and our world that stepped outside the blinders of the scientific community, which was kept firmly in place as he combined spirituality, science, religion, history, zoology, and human folly as one complete school of thought, which it seems we are getting back to today, but these were his thoughts were written and not typically accepted in his day. The 1960s and 70s, the age of Aquarius, had many effects on a huge cross-section of societies. Reading Isley today is as enlightening in its past perspective as string theory and the discovery of new stars. We in conservation or environmental movements have been aware of these outlanders of thought, such as Rachel Carson, E.O. Wilson, Aldo Leopold, Thoreau, and Muir. They have been our Bibles of learning. Their Bibles were the early explorers, Captain Cook, Darwin, the Royal Society, the then National Geographic Society, along with Newton, Leonardo da Vinci, and the newly instituted Natural Sciences. As Lauren Isley writes in his 1969 series of essays, The Unexpected Universe, quote, In the restless atmosphere of today, all the psychological elements of the Odyssey, Ulysses' Odyssey, are present to excess. The driving will toward achievement, the driving will toward technological cleverness, crudely manifest in the violence between man and man. The words could just as well express the revulsion of a modern thinker over the sight of a nation harried by irrational activists whose rejection of history constitutes an equal, if unrecognized, rejection of any humane or recognizable future. We are a society bemused in its purposes, and yet we are secretly homesick for a lost world of inward tranquility. The thirst for illimitable knowledge now conflicts directly with the search for a serenity obtainable nowhere upon this earth. Knowledge, or at least what the 20th century acclaims as knowledge, has not led to happiness. I'm going to weave together some further thoughts from Lauren Isley's books because I think they're very pertinent, poignant, and appropriate for today, which is 45 years later. Isley further writes, quote, Ours is certainly the most time-conscious generation that has ever lived. Our cameras, our television, our archaeological probings, our datings, our collections, our researches have, have excuse me, resurrected lost cities. We unearth obscure ancestral primates, and in our film, we watch the apes rise up, a bone thrown in into the air to become a spaceship drifting among the stars, thus telescoping an instant the whole technological history of man. We expect the average onlooker to comprehend the symbolism. Such a civilization, one would presume, would have a deep veneration for the past, but strangely, the results are quite otherwise. We appear to be living instead amidst a meaningless mosaic of fragments, from ape skull to mayhem to, excuse me, to Mayan temple. We con contemplate the miscellaneous debris of time like a sightseer to whom these mighty fragments convey no present instruction. In our streets and on our campuses, there are riots and extremist minority dedicated to the now, 
to the moment, however absurd, degrading or irrelevant the moment may be, rejecting the past and determined to start life anew. Indeed, rejecting the very institutions that feed, clothe, and sustain our swarming millions. We see this everywhere today, a society yearning for noble savagery without the accumulated burdens of history, in danger of engulfing entire generations. I think they have engulfed entire generations to the point where we are now. As Isley says, those individuals who persist in pursuing the mind-destroying drug of constant action have not alone confined themselves to an increasingly chaotic present. They are also, by the deliberate abandonment of their past, destroying the conceptual tools and values that are the means of introducing the rational onto the coming future. Their world, therefore, becomes increasingly the violent, unpredictable world of the first men, simply because in losing faith in the past is inevitably forsaking all that enables man to be a planning animal. For man's story, in brief, is essentially that of a creature who has abandoned instinct and replaced it with cultural tradition and in hard-won increments of contemplative thought. Does this sound familiar? to our ears today? Today, without the lessons of the past, we have left out a reasonably secure set of instructions for proceeding against an unknown future. We're recklessly hurling ourselves into a nihilistic future without a method or a plan, upon a future we ourselves have complicated, forsaking all that history of the classical world can teach us, as we concern ourselves solely with the immediate, pursuing the will-o'-the-wisp of the moment, like Odysseus's journey to the Lotus Eaters, we are forgetting our way home. The danger of living only for the day is a two-edged sword, a veiled warning that living for the day and the senses only, there is the danger of the human intellect and yearning for insatiable power. No longer, as with the animal, can the world be accepted as given. It has to be perceived and consciously thought about, abstracted and considered. The moment we do this, we are outside the natural. Objects are each one surrounded with an aura that has a meaning to man alone. Thus we sought meaning elsewhere, objectivity, to find the purpose within a constant and beneficent deity. Then came Darwin, leaving us with the lurking paradoxes in a way we can only dimly retrace. Science is of human devising and manufacture. It has not prevented war, it has perfected it. It has not abolished cruelty or corruption, it has enabled these abominations to be practices on a scale unknown before in human history. Science is the solver of problems, but it is dealing with the limitless. Solutions to problems create problems. Their solutions in turn create additional problems that escape out of the scientific hands into the nooks and crannies of social fabrics. This is called the evolution of contingency. It is no longer represented by the long, slow turn of world time, as the geologist knew it. Contingency has escaped into human hands and flickers behind all the unseen worlds of our machines and politics if we learn to ask terrible questions, and in seeking the answers, find terrible solutions. We are more potent than we seem in our ability to materialize the unexpected that is drawn from our own minds. 
Today, the re- we know the results of the early explorers' endeavors. Darwin's evolutionary theory knitting together the vast web of life, reaching endlessly up through related branches and the survival of the fittest. But there intrudes a problem. Mouse is trying to convert all organic substance and energy into mouse. Snake is trying to convert mouse into snake. Man now maintains factories to convert cattle into human substance. This is an ingenious spectacle in which nothing really wins and through which whole orders of life have perished. If our tempo of seeing could be sped up like a time-lapse film, life would appear and disappear in a chaos of writhing forms with the impermanence of fairy dust at midnight. To this day, without traversing through our past, and with the speed of the Internet without slowing down to observe and provide thoughtful comment on the imperfect changing quality of life, we still remained simply observers. Earth is the mightiest of creatures. She contains beneath her skin and hide that from which springs all life. She is the most complete of animals and science of all. It is rather remarkable that so much has been written in somber reflection about the triumphs of our history, but so little about the failures who have changed, if not deranged, the world. A story of fumbling little creatures of seemingly great potential flailing helpless into the unexpected crevices where all is topsy-turvy. It is not life's exuberant pathway that has marked our passing. Rather, we often learn this lesson after the event and almost as a prelude to extinction. We have beneath our feet a delicate balance upon which float the living screen of life in which every organism exerts enormous hold, directly or indirectly upon every other living thing. Man has similarly defeated and diverted the entire web of life as we dance and dibble over her skin. One cannot help but dwell upon the hidden posers that produce such delicate balance between freedom, survival, and catastrophe. Life has survived by distributing itself over innumerable innumerable, tiny environments. It has mastered such extremes of temperature and pressures exemplified by our mountains and seas. Under these circumstances, one fact is self-evident. Under such extreme trials as we are now enacting, life tends to thin out to the point of disappearance. We are each and every one of us locals. We are critical. The people, whomever and wherever you may be, we have the ability to speak out rather than stand by. I guess it's perhaps called revolution, and it is decided whether it will be peaceful or violent or transitional or power sharing. It all depends on the benchmark progress is being measured by. That's where each of us has an obligation and a responsibility to each other and to this planet that sustains us. We're locals here. We shape our world. It's how the rest of our neighbors, so to speak, decide to live with this shift, and we're shifting right now on so many levels, thus the changing paradigm. So right now, you can decide which side of the fence you'll stand on. The conviction of wisdom, wrote Montaigne in the 16th century, is the plague of man. Century after century, humanity studies itself in the mirror of fashion, and ever the mirror gives back distortions, which for the moment impose themselves upon man's real image. In one period we believe ourselves governed by immutable laws, in the next by chance. 
In one period, angels hover over our birth. In the following time, we are planetary waifs, the products of a meaningless and ever-altering chemistry. We exchange halos in one era for fangs in another. Our religious and philosophical conceptions change so rapidly that the theological and moral exhortations of one decade become the waste paper of the next epoch. The ideas for which millions yield up their lives produce only bored yawns in a later generation. So we're going to head back into another little break, and then I'll wrap up this little wandering, pondering thoughts. And if I uh, like, if you'd like to uh, join in this conversation, please call one eight six six four seven two five seven eight eight or email me at wildeyes at wildeyes dot org. Please check out our website to learn more about what we do and more of my rambling thoughts under our news and blog in my soapbox. And we'll be right back after the break. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Up today's episode about our astonishing world and the power of one, I would once again like to draw on some writings and thoughts by Lauren Isley. And to quote, some members of the Darwinian circle could only conceive of man achieving his highest intellect through the heavy selection of incessant war. 
Today we know that early man was small and scant in numbers and that most of his efforts must have been given over to food getting rather than conflict. This is not to minimize his destructive qualities, but his long drawn out helpless childhood, during which his growing brain matured, could only have flourished in the safety of a stable family organization, groups marked by altruistic and long care continued care of the young. The 19th century evolutionists, and many philosophers still today, are obsessed by struggle. They try to define natural selection in one sense only, something that Darwin himself avoided. They ignore all man's finer qualities, generosity, self-sacrifice, universe-searching wisdom, in the attempt to enclose him in the small capsule that contained the brain of proto-man. Such writers often fail to explore man's growing sense of beauty, the language that has opened up and defined his world, and the little gifts he came to lay beside his dead. None of these acts could have been prophesied before man came. They reveal something other than what the pure materialist would be able to draw out of the dark, dark concourse of matter before the genuine emergence of these novel human phenomena into time. There is no definition or description of man possible by reducing him to the ape, tree, or shrew. Once, it is true, the shrew contained him, but he is gone. He is, broken, he is broken from the open seed pod of the pre-hominid brain, a thistle now drifting toward the empty spaces of the universe. He is full of the lights and visions, yes, and the fearful darkness of the next age of man. Natural selection is real, but at the same time it is a shifting chimera, less a law than making its own law from age to age. The potential hidden in nature has flowered into a greater variety of behavior. Thus, what we call natural selection, the war of nature, can either enclose living creatures in specialized prisons or, on occasion, open amazing doorways into unsuspected worlds. Even such a lowly relative of man as the existing lemur, uh, Propithecus, which lives in groups, may exhibit marked individual area, uh, variation because these animals recognize and behave differently toward each other. Conformity has here given way to the selective pressure for at least limited physical diversity and corresponding individuality of the behavior. Though the case of man is complicated, it seems evident that just such a remarkable doorway opened when man, as a social animal, fell under selective forces that no longer severely channeled the nature of his mind or the minds of his aberrant offspring, us. Through language, this creature, the human, could communicate his dreams around the cave fires. Inevitably, a great wealth of intellectual diversity and consequent selective mating based on mutual attraction would emerge from the dark storehouse of nature. The cruel and the gentle would sit at the same fireside, dreaming already in the Stone Age the different dreams they dream today. All waited upon and yet possessed, in some dim way, the future in their heads. Abysmal darkness and great lie lay invisibly about their camps. The phantom cities of the far future awaited latent talents for which, in that unspecialized time, there was no name. Above all, some of them, a mere handful in any generation perhaps, loved. They loved the animals about them, the song in the wind, the soft voices of women, on the flat surfaces of cave walls, the three dimensions of the outside world took animal shape and form. Here, 
not with the axe, not with the bow, man fumbled at the door of his true kingdom. Here, hidden in times of trouble behind silent brows, against the man with the flint, waited St. Francis of the birds, the lovers, the men who are still forced to walk warily among their kind. So through these wanderings today, what I've hoped to accomplish is give you some food for thought as to how we, humanity, each of us, the individual, the power of the individual, and the glorious world around us with this astonishing diversity. And I know that's an overused word, but it is diverse. If you take a look from the flower to the bee to the lion and the myriad forms, colors, and wave shapes that life takes, it is astonishing, absolutely astonishing, and we are a part of this. Somewhere along the line, we have separated ourselves and made nature the other. I think the point of our wild world and my conversations with you are to remember that we are not disconnected from the other. We are the other. We are all together. And as an individual and as a community and as a global life, we have the ability to shift the paradigm. I'd say many of us, uh, thinkers today, conservationists, uh, scientists, philosophers, as we combine these different cycles and series of thoughts or uh, exercises or schools of thought that they really are not so separate after all. They all combine together and there's a wonderful book called Think of an Elephant which is titled from trying to understand quantum physics and how shape and size can remain the same once it takes a quantum leap that spirituality, science, religion, creationism, divinity are all one together. We as humans have divided existence into constructs that enable us to imagine the scope of our world. So let's open our minds, think outside the box, and replace ourselves and reimagine the world with us as a part of it. Our glorious ability to manipulate, think, construct, and reimagine, recreate, and rebuild this connection to the earth, which will save the earth, which will in the end save us. The earth will survive us. I guess the point is, will we survive us along with the earth and enjoy a life that we were meant to be? Enjoy who we are. Enjoy what we were meant to be. As Nike says, be all we can be. I don't think we're doing that right now, but I think we're all on the leading edge of shifting toward being what we can be, which includes awareness of every living thing around us. So I hope as you walk outside today and put your feet on our wild world and you look at the trees and try and figure out how many names uh, there are for the color green, how many names there are for the variety of colors of crabapple blossoms and the colors of gray or concrete that you realize it's all apart and based upon this world and this hope beneath our feet. 
We are the hope of the future, and we have, and we can rebuild the hope beneath our feet, which is our earth. If we want to live into the future, then we need to evolve, and uh, we're going to evolve one way or another. So, uh, rather than think of some ethereal next Homo sapiens sapiens, we can be that person. Each of us. It's the power of one and our astonishing world. So until next week, I hope you have a wonderful wild day and enjoy our wild world. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 